Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Coming up, Sarah Broad from Millennium for All. We'll talk to her about security at the Millennium Airport. Louise DuPont has written a book called Hidden Treasures about her son who took his life. And we'll also talk to Christine Pattison, Miss Christine's Kitchen. She is appearing on Wall of Chefs on Food Network. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. All right, our next guest uh, joining us on the phone is Sarah Broad. Sarah's with uh, Millennium for All. And uh, Sarah, first of all, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks for having me. So yesterday, or I guess on the weekend, you guys marked the one-year anniversary of uh, security at the library. Uh, first of all, before we get into this discussion, how did how did that go yesterday? or, or on Was it yesterday or on Saturday? Actually, the one-year anniversary is tomorrow. But we've been, uh, we, we proclaimed this sort of in-between week as library week, um, just uh, because we wanted to have some events on the weekend to make it a little bit more accessible for some people who might not be able to make it tomorrow. Right. Okay. Uh, but, but there was, uh, you had a, a protest on the weekend though, right? Oh, we sure did. We had um, an alternative reference desk. So we set up in the Millennium Library lobby uh, for both Saturday and yesterday. And uh, we had an alternative reference desk there on Saturday, and we were answering um, all sorts of people's questions about uh, library security and also about the upcoming budget uh, for um, the city, because the city promised to fund an exit strategy for the uh, security barriers. And um, then they started talking about cuts uh, in November. And so we have tied sort of all of this stuff together because um, if they're not going to fund the exit security, this exit strategy for the security, um, then we're a little bit concerned uh, about, obviously, about all of the rest of the cuts that they're making, such as the closure of three library branches in the city, as well as closing libraries on Sundays. Yeah, explain the security issue. What's what? Why do you have the problem with security at the library? Let's let's get into that. That's what I kind of want to talk about today. Sure. Yeah. So, um, security such as we have at the library, um, it makes it uh, really difficult for a lot of people in terms of access. So, um, for people. Um, all kinds of different people for all kinds of various reasons. Um, but for uh, some specific people, there are disproportionate kinds of uh, barriers for them. Um, for people who are racialized, who are targeted by the police, um, for people who have had trauma in their lives due to having had uh, contact with police or in other places where, um, uh, you know, if there are newcomers and they're coming here and they may have some previous trauma related to policing, um, th- it may have uh, a greater impact on them. Also for um, people who uh, have been sexually assaulted, um, survivors of sexual assault also can have uh, disproportionate kinds of um, sort of trauma related to that as well um, in terms of um, their, their personal safety, their feelings around personal safety and consent. 
So there are a lot of people that are um, affected by uh, the security barriers that we currently have. What about people that want to use the library and feel safe? Um, well, I would suggest that there are all kinds of ways that we can do that that don't involve security. Okay. Um, and in fact, the city uh, voted to fund all kinds of other ways uh, to ensure that people's safety is addressed, including um, more staff at the library. So um, in Winnipeg, uh, we have an understaffing issue at all of the libraries. If you look at other cities in terms of their libraries, what they have done is um, they have actually uh, provided more funding for more staffing. Um, And here, uh, the staff-to-patron ratio is a lot lower than in other places. Um, There are all kinds of other ways to address safety. So um, in terms of um, people who want to use the library, um, if there are uh, all kinds of services being offered out of the library, um, the people that need those services can go and use them um, while not interfering with anyone else who is... um, perhaps uh, using the library that day for a different purpose. Right. But libraries across Canada have been doing all kinds of things in terms of um, expanding programming, um, providing all kinds of different um, ways of mitigating any kinds of circumstances that may arise, such as snacks. Um, There are uh, some social workers in the library in Saskatoon that they have just implemented. Here we have two crisis workers, and the city actually promised to fund another set of two crisis workers. um, But that is put at risk because of the wider budget cuts that the city is talking about. Hey, Sarah, I'm getting some comments from listeners, and I'm just going to read a couple, and then I'll get you to respond, and then we'll be out of time, unfortunately. So one at 204-780-6868. Uh, text message says, uh, "How ask your guest how she can qualify the security screening as a racialized process if every individual is subject to the same treatment. And then another one kind of along that line, how uh, I think your guest is playing the race card. Security has nothing to do with race. If they're doing nothing wrong, what's the worry? A- answer to that. Uh, explain uh, to them why you're concerned about race and and discrimination, and then, like I said, we'll be out of time. Sure. So, um, actually, we had an instance of this um, very example uh, over the weekend where someone did uh, cross the security barrier without any kind of uh, investigation or anything, um, and that person was white. So, there are um, some actual impacts on people. The other thing is that... um, We know uh, from research and from evidence-based research that um, the communities that are disproportionately targeted by security companies, by police, are um, people who are racialized. So it's not an equal access thing. And uh, even when uh, people sort of try their best to... um, not discriminate in those positions, often what happens is discrimination. Sarah, thanks a lot for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Sarah Broad, Millennium for All. Thank you, uh, Louise DuPont, for waiting. I, I appreciate it. we got to get the curling news on. Curling's important. Um, congratulations on the book, Hidden Treasures. It's beautiful. Well, thank you very much. You, uh, Your son, Andre, who... He took his own life, and um, 
I, whenever I talk to uh, mothers who have lost their children like this, I can't imagine the pain that you must have felt at the time and, and, and continue to feel. Uh, yes, it's it's very painful. Yes. Yeah. And and this book you uh, put the, is beautiful. It's a, it's it's kind of a picture book in a way. Why did you decide to do it like this? Uh, well, I had found a, a story that my son wrote when he was in grade two, and uh, it's about uh, being lost in a storm. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I found the story, it was so much like his story, his life, he, his life, and also my life because I suffered from depression, and so. Uh, he's lost in a storm and then he enters a labyrinth and he's kind of lost. He's bumbling around in the labyrinth. And to me, this was also my life. Mm -hmm. And then he meets up with a ghost made of light. It's this creature, a luminous creature. And to me, that's like symbolizes like our request for the light. Mm -hmm. Like we're always looking to get out of this. We're looking for the the brightness and the answer, the the light. Exactly, exactly. So... Uh, when I saw that story, I thought, oh, my God, this can't just be for me, yeah. for my own eyes. So I thought, okay, well, I have to do something with this little story. And also my son had been, his picture had been on the front page of the Winnipeg Free Press. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- that was the year. It looks like it was at Festival or something. It eh? was actually like he had been juggling with fire at the festival. And mm-hmm. there's a really nice picture of him. It's beautiful. In front of a nice sculpture. And that picture to me also has so much light in it right you know because the fire mm-hmm. and uh yeah. yeah it's just a very um to me that picture symbolizes the light and then you went to students and had them do pictures to go with the story yeah well those were actually uh, like after m- my son died he was a teacher's uh, an educational assistant at mm. uh, christine l'esperance mm. and after he his death the teachers had the idea to make the kids uh, draw uh, sympathy cards. And so the drawings are actually uh, kids that he worked with at school mm. who, who wrote these really nice cards. Yeah, And those cards were so comforting mm-hmm. to us Yeah, uh, because they really talk about how they, they loved my son. Mm-hmm. Like he would, uh, uh, he had a juggling club at school and he would always bring in his bicycle and teach them about, mm-hmm. you know, how a bicycle is built. And mm-hmm. so he, he was really loved by the students. Yeah. So, was it hard? Was the decision to do this difficult for you to make or was it an e- or was it like, I got to do this? There's no question. Yeah. It was like, I had to do it. It wasn't easy because, well, the whole subject is, is a, such a difficult one. Right. But with the picture, uh, the photograph on the free press and the story itself, it, it just was like, all kind of made sense, eh? Yeah. And it was like, you know, sometimes people say it's a book that insisted on being written. Mm. Like I, I couldn't let the idea go. And I actually, I don't know, I couldn't have lived my, with myself if I hadn't written the book. Yeah. <laughs> That's how strong it was, mm-hmm. you know, the idea that I needed to get this out there. Mm-hmm. And really, it's a super good resource to help us talk about suicide, right? Well, and I think too. And depression, you know. And, and for everybody, but what a great book for children of the right age too, right? Yeah, yeah, it could be. It could be used. I think uh, it could be a really valuable resource, Uh and maybe not explaining, uh, you know, the because how do you make sense out of somebody taking their their own life? But 
the idea of depression. And you said that you have dealt with depression through your life. Mm -hmm. Did it in a weird way make it easier to understand what your son had gone through? Well, you know, that's one of the things it's uh, for me, like I was able to totally accept his decision to do that because I totally understood where he was coming from. Mm -hmm. I, I totally understand why he did it. And I understand why people today would want to do it yeah. because I've kind of been there. You've been there. Yeah. So yeah. It, it was actually for me much easier to accept than maybe like my husband or my kids mm -hmm. or, you know, because yeah. of like I, I know what it's like to be in that sort of dark place. Yeah. But I always had that light sort of, you know, there was always light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, when things were really dark, you were always sort of able to see the light and 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 not go where Andre went. Yes, exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. And I th sometimes think if my son only had the tools that I had, you know, like I read books that actually changed my whole way of seeing life. Mm. And there there are books that actually saved my life. If I hadn't read those books, I I doubt if I'd be around today. I'd yeah. have died, not necessarily suicide, but I would have been yeah. sick. I would I would you know. Because you you worked in a library, yes, right? Yes, actually, I was at uh, St. Boniface Library when uh, yeah. when this happened. And, you know, the thing that I also want to say, like, people were so good to us. Mm. They were so good to us. I, I can't even explain that to you. And it's like I experienced almost like a transcendent kind of love. Mm. So it's hard to explain, but... And so I, I think that's why I was able to write the book, mm -hmm. you know? Um, yeah. And, you know, people who want to help people who are going through this, it's just being there for them, like doing little things, you know, helps so much. Yeah. It's funny. I have a, a therapist who's on my show on Thursdays, Carolyn Klassen, and uh, she says that. She said, often we'll begin when there's terrible news. We'll often begin by saying, I don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. But just being there and saying that. Yeah. Is the most important thing. You're there for them. Yeah. Yeah. Just even little things, you know, mm -hmm. like, uh, like our families, especially like, uh, oof, they did such great things for us. And like at school, like, I mean, Andre's friends. The kids and the other, yeah. other teachers. And you know, the teachers, they would, they offered to sub for us so that some teachers could go to my son's funeral. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it was all really little things, but so important. Yeah. Yeah. This is, you know, like I said at the start of this about about the pain, obviously never going away. You're a mother uh, who lost her son in a senseless way, right? You understand it better than many, but it, in a senseless way. It's been years, yeah. and still the emotion is so raw for you, eh? Yeah, yeah, it's still it's still there. You know, you sort of wonder, okay, what what would he have become? Because mm -hmm. I think my son had like really good qualities. Yeah, he would have done so much. Mm -hmm. But I think he's still doing things on the other side. If uh, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> that's how I see it now. He's probably, really, and I believe he, I believe that as well. Uh, yeah. But I also believe he's doing good things here too, amongst us. Exactly, like through the book. I think, yeah. like I know that the book has touched people. Like mm -hmm. I have a few people who've told me they've got the book beside their bed, and once in a while they'll they'll yeah. read it. And it's actually people who are suffering from depression. So, mm -hmm. so to me, that's like, wow, you know, well, yeah. that's why I, I totally needed to write the book. Mm -hmm. I just felt so strongly I had to do it. So, uh, And yeah. I'll tell you something else, uh, Louise. I get 
lots of emails and phone calls from lots of authors who are all about selling lots of books. <laughs> You're not about selling lots of books to make a bunch of money. You reached out to me by email, hal at cjob.com, and you said, I, I've written this book, and I think it's an important conversation to be had about depression and um, and all the rest of it. Um, it has it... Has it been rewarding in a way to be able to do the book and and talk to people like you're talking to me and thousands listening uh, today? Has it has it been? Yeah, it's really rewarding because actually I I know that I've helped I've helped people and the book has helped people so that's that's a big reward mm-hmm. you know and uh, I think it'll continue to help to help people yeah so for sure. <laughs> How can people get the book? Because I think it's great. What's the easiest way uh, to get the book? And it's and uh, I'll tell you what, uh, it's not a huge book, uh, but it's really important. Um, I, I guess hidden treasures dot life is one place, right? Uh, yeah, the best place is actually at uh, through McNally Robinson. Okay, so they can go. They have to order it in though, but. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they can have it brought in or have it mailed to their place, I guess, through the, yeah. the website, or they can just go to McNally and they'll order it for you, I imagine. Okay. Uh, so. so McNally Robinson, and the book again is Hidden Treasures. It's by Louise DuPont about her son, Andre. Thank you very Louise, much. Louise, thank you for coming in. Really wonderful book, and I think that, I think you're right. Um, I think it, it has, I'm sure it has helped many people, but I think it will help many people now uh, having you here on the air and letting people know that, it, that it's there. Thank you so much, Hal. Thank you very much. All right, so uh, Christine Pattison owns and operates Miss Christine's Authentic Jamaican Street Food in the Chalet Hotel at the corner of Marion and Archibald. And she is going to be a contestant tonight on Food Network's Wall of Chefs. And Christine is on the phone now. Christine, hello. Hi, how are you? I'm great. Congratulations on being on Wall of Chefs tonight. We'll talk about that in a second. That's a new show on the Food Network. Very exciting. I'm anxious to hear about that experience. But first of all, tell me about Miss Christine's Kitchen. Okay, well, Miss Christine's Kitchen is the only um, non-fusion street food in Winnipeg. It's authentic Jamaican street food, which means I don't fuse anything at all. If it's just oxtail, it's straight oxtail. There's no carrots in it. If it's jerk chicken, it's the traditional way. Um, everything in there is just awesome. Like, the food is just amazing in Miss Christine's Kitchen. You know, uh, some of the best jerk chicken I ever had was in Jamaica. I was in Jamaica about four or five years ago. I'll be honest with you, Christine, some of the food, um, even just the names, made me a little nervous, but everything I tried was fantastic. <laughs> well, I know a lot of people don't understand the word oxtail. They keep thinking it's from an ox, and I have to explain to them it's the tail of a cow. It's mm. beef. So once they hear the word beef, it kind of relaxes them a little bit because if I didn't know what oxtail is, that don't sound too appealing to me, Right. So unless somebody would explain to me to let me know that's oxtail. So you ever tried chicken feet? Well, no. I've seen them, but I've never tried them. Are they good? <laughs> They're delicious. <laughs> you can fry them. You can curry them. You can put them in soups. Like chicken feet goes a long way. So, But, yeah, that's something I cook at the restaurant, too, on occasion. 
when I get requests for it. Any goat stomach soup at the restaurant? Because when I was in Jamaica, they were serving that up on the streets out of a half a 45-gallon barrel with a flame yeah. burning underneath. Yeah. Well, no, I don't, but I sell curry goat, though. And I do sell goat soup. But I don't use the intestines because not a lot of people are from my country that's here that will be, you know. So I yeah. don't put the intestine in. I don't want right. to scare them away. Yeah. But what I do is I'll put chicken feet in it because a lot of my customers are Asian customers, too. Ah. So they eat the same stuff that Jamaican folks eat, the oxtail. They, they don't care for the goat as much, but they love the chicken feet. They love the pig's feet, the cow's feet, all of that stuff that I cook there. A lot of Asian folks love that stuff there. What are some other dishes on your menu? Well, on some of the dishes, I have escovite snapper fish, uh, which is a whole snapper fish. You fry it, and then you make a pickle brine that you pour on top of it. And also, I sell rice and peas. I sell coconut curry rice. I sell plain white rice. I sell Lizzie Rolls, which is a form of a festival, um, because it's my mom's recipe, and she just passed on. I named them after her. I named them the Lizzie Rolls. But uh, I have uh, curry chicken, brown stew chicken, ackee and salted codfish, callaloo. I have steamed cabbage. I have a lot of different variety of foods, but I don't cook them the same thing every day because it's a very small kitchen. Sure. And I have limited space, so I can't cook too many things. But the main thing that's there every day, guarantee, is usually jerk chicken oxtail. All right, so authentic Jamaican street food at 611 Archibald in the Chalet Hotel, Miss Christine's Kitchen. All right, now tell me about your experience on Wall of Chefs. I know you can't tell us too much, but what can you tell us about your episode tonight? Well, what I can tell you about my episode tonight it's going to be amazing. Yeah. I had a lot of fun while I was shooting the episode. Uh, they were very nice to us. They treated us like kings and queens. And it's very um, nerve-wracking. That's all I can say. It's because I'm not used to having so many cameras in my face. <laughs> yeah. And having so many chefs judge your food, too. Oh, my God. When you talk about master and iron chef you're looking up on the wall here and it's like oh my god <laughs> i'm cooking for these people yeah. me that's from the ghetto you know like i'm coming <laughs> from walking off the street begging money in jamaica for food yeah. so this is huge for me and were you able to cook your own dishes like jamaican food or do they give you the recipes to cook well i can't really say anything about that all right But all I can say is that you're going to love the show. Seriously, you're going to enjoy it. It's good. There's a bunch of good cooks. You know, I went up against three other folks. So, and then, you know, each person get eliminated after each segment. Right. But you're going to have to watch. Okay. All right. I will be Mm -hmm. watching tonight. Wall of Chefs on Food Network. Christine Patterson, thank you for doing this. And I'm going to come check out Miss Christine's Kitchen. You should because the food is amazing. The reviews are amazing. So nobody have anything. And, oh, my motto is if you don't like it, it's free. (laughs) Wow. that's You're pretty cocky about your food. Oh, I'm very confident. I'm overconfident when it comes to my food. Excellent. I can't wait to try it, Christine. Thank you. Thank you. I'll enjoy the show tonight. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.